Thanks for listening to Other People's Flowers. If you'd like to have your work feature on the program, please send it to editor at otherpeoplesflowers.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode. War Hero by David Calladine. He was very decorated. Landed at D-Day. Jumped out of a plane, a real hero. Got a George's Cross, I heard. The procession filed slowly through the iron gates of the cemetery, black-clad bodies shuffling in a morose step. Alfred stood solemnly at the back, his mother at his side, while the ladies in front chatted. At the head of the long line of mourners, the coffin shone in the winter sun, clouded reflections of the peaceful sky bouncing off it. The wife of the war hero walked with her family around her. She had a slow gait. Her back was twisted with life's years. A veil hung loosely over her. Such a shame when heroes die. Makes us all look bad. Certainly. There must have been more than 500 people there, come to pay their last respects to this great man Alfred had never known. The only person there he knew was an ex-minister, one who'd been caught up in a scandal regarding prostitutes and dressing up as Nazis. He wore a heavy overcoat and gripped his wife's hand, keeping his head bowed so as to avoid eye contact with anyone. A photographer took a few photos when they were all gathered round the grave. He hadn't wanted to be cremated, rumour had it. It was against his wife's religion. So the coffin sat on a pyre in front of the gathered crowd while the priest read from the Bible. A digger, its arm twisted in repose, stood a few metres behind the talking priest. It was orange, the only colour in the bleak cemetery. I am the way, the truth and the life, said the priest. I am the way, the truth and the life. In his final years, he'd been admitted into his wife's religion. She was Russian and he'd apparently embraced the Orthodox Church with an alacrity he'd applied to little else in his life. The priest wore an orthogonal hat and a curved cassette and spoke his words with a measured certainty. Alfred thought he heard a sob next to him. He looked at his mother. It wasn't her. It was a lady next to her. And she wasn't sobbing. She was stifling a sneeze. David Hawes was a great man. The eulogy. A dark-suited man, grey-haired, weathered face, hands clasping the lectern like it was his zimmer frame. What defines greatness? How can I stand in front of you all here today and tell you that this man was great? I wanted to tell you a story. On the 5th of June, 1944, I was in a small village outside Cambridge enjoying the last bit of freedom I'd get before I had to jump out of the plane and enter hell. I was sitting on a bench thinking about the future. We'd been practising for months. Month after month of manoeuvres, practice jumps, rifle training. We knew Normandy better than we knew our own mothers. I was sitting on a bench on the village green and I was twitching. Truth be told, ladies and gentlemen, I was terrified. I knew that in not very long at all, I was going to jump out of a plane and probably be shot by the enemy and I simply wasn't ready to die. I was, I'm ashamed to admit, genuinely thinking about deserting. I had my face in my hands, I wanted to cry. Then I heard the sounds of boots coming towards me, and I looked up, and there was our friend David smiling at me. He sat down next to me and asked me what was the matter. I'm scared, I said. I'm scared I'm going to die. With a smile, a casual smile, he looked me in the eyes and said, Will, we're all going to die. We just don't know when. The next day we dropped, and I watched David charge towards German guns like it didn't matter, like none of it mattered and we all gladly followed him. A real hero, 
muttered one of the women next to Alfred. Very patriotic. It was a day in late April, three years previously, that he'd met the war hero for the first time. He could remember the sun and the bright blue sky above that white house sitting next to a main road in that eerie suburb. He stepped out of the car, his mother still waiting in the car. The garden was small, a few azaleas lined a grey stone wall. Some roses climbed along the walls of the house. A gravel path crunched under his feet. At the door he tried to peer through the frosted pane glass on either side to see if anyone was in. There was no movement, no music, no signs of occupancy. He pressed the doorbell. Three chimes, three easy ding-dongs. Nothing for a while, then a voice, footsteps, and the door was opened. Hello? An old woman. Of course she was old, she was past eighty now, peered at him, the vaguest glimmer of recognition in her tired eyes. Uh, hello, I'm Alfred White. Yes? I'm David's grandson. She looked over his shoulder. You'd better come in then. My mother's in the car, can I just go and get her? And presently the four of them were sitting in the living room, statuettes all around, photos of the travels David and Mia had embarked on together, pictures of them and their daughter, pictures of Mia and her family with David in the background. I think I'll have a glass of wine, said Mia. Anyone else want some? Alfred said no, his mother said yes, David said yes as well. Mia talked about their life together, their travels around Africa, how they met. After the war, David was the foreign correspondent for the Daily Express in Berlin. When it was still a newspaper of note, Mir was quick to add. Mir was working as a teacher and interpreter in Berlin. Her mother was French and her father Russian. One day, David had been interviewing people of dual nationality for a piece about the separation of Germany. As soon as she'd seen him, she knew, she said. I knew we would get married. Alfred's mother smiled. Alfred smiled as well. David had always imagined himself as a writer. He published a few non-fiction titles about the war. Surely the four out-of-print editions were on the coffee table, and Alfred was browsing through them. One, a memoir of a Polish general, stood out. The ghostwriter was not mentioned, but Mir assured everyone, not that they needed assurance, that it had been written by David. Twelve o'clock came. How well everyone was getting along. Mir announced that unfortunately they'd have to part as she and David were due at her sister's house for lunch. The whole family will be there, she said. It'll be nice to see all my young grandnieces and grandnephews. Alfred smiled. He fetched his mother's coat while he spoke to David about who knew what. Returning, the two were framed by a shard of winter light coming through the translucent windows. How they looked alike, thought Alfred for a moment. Father and daughter both shared the same high forehead, the one he'd inherited too and the same pointed, almost aquiline nose. Do you want an apology? An apology for what? said Alfred's mother. I don't know, an apology for all the years spent apart. She shook her head. Surely they were in the car again, and Alfred was wondering how to build a relationship with a grandfather he'd never met, while silently his mother cried for her long-estranged father. The eulogy continued about the hero's career at Bayer, and then the tragedy of his daughter was brought up. Lord knows he made some mistakes, continued the eulogizer. Lord knows we've all made some mistakes. Some pretty fucking big ones, thought Alfred. Some pretty fucking big ones. Finally, the speech was over and everyone murmured their approval. The priest returned to the lectern, only a few more words about Christ and salvation, and prepared to commit the corpse to its resting place. As the casket was lowered, clouds began looming overhead. A few raindrops spattered onto the hard ground. 
a light wintry breeze whistled around the gravestones. A couple of umbrellas went up. A parcel of crows swooped low over the mourners, the smell of death ruffling their feathers. A summer lunch was arranged. David and Mir would be there along with several others. The idea was to give them a gentle introduction so that he could become a part of the family again. Alfred's father had had to do some persuading. Understandably, his mother wanted little to do with her father. I only wanted to see him, to know him. I didn't want him to claim me or anything. I just wanted to look at him. But everyone had insisted, and now they were all sitting around the wooden table eating barbecued pork belly and drinking shabbly. The beautiful summer wrapped around the garden, lush green grass, birds singing, the faint smell of wisteria. I decided I should meet Niall, said his mother. Niall? The old man glanced at Mir. Niall, your other son. We invited him here for the weekend. He came to stay with his wife. Oh, yes? He was rather fierce about you. I see. He said he wanted nothing to do with you. He was bullied when he was younger. He could have done with a father to look after him. Someone to help him fix the bruises. So he said. David didn't respond. He seemed a little weird, if I'm honest, said Alfred. It seemed like he'd let not having a father affect him. Change him. He should probably just get on with it. He does have a father, said David. Does he? Yes. Where is he? I was going to get back in contact with both of you, but we thought it would be better not to. Taking Mia's hand, two yellowed and wilted sets of knuckles wrapping around each other. We thought you wouldn't want anything to do with me. With us. Of course. She looked down. Do you want an apology? Did you get back in touch with me for an apology? For a moment... Alfred's mother went pale, then slowly a flush of red returned to both cheeks. No, shaking her head, no, nothing like that, I just wanted to make sure. Make sure of what? Make sure that you really want nothing to do with me or Andrew. Alfred's father stood and gathered the plates, congealing pork belly was making the air go stale. The village hall was filled with black, black dresses, black suits, black ties, black veils, black rings around eyes. Black socks, black tights, black marks under chins, black clad waiters holding canapes out to lacrimose mourners. Alfred stood with his mother in the corner. The faces of the people, perhaps some he was related to, were all unknown. The ex-minister was talking to a pair of old ladies in the corner of the room. A lurking younger man, perhaps a journalist, was near him, waiting for him to slip up and say the wrong thing. What did you think of the ceremony? Alfred asked his mother. Unusual. I'll go and get us some drinks. At the bar, he ordered two more elderflower cordials, smiling at the waitress in vain hope, and almost bumped into an old lady as he turned around. Terribly sorry, he said. Oh, don't worry, dear, she smiled. He stopped, longing for the waitress behind him, her pale eyes, the way she'd smiled when she handed him the drinks. How are you related to David? Or were you, I should say. Now I'm old, I forget everyone's dying around me. I'm his grandson. His grandson? Didn't know he had a grandson. I believe he's got three. You're not Mia's grandson from her first marriage. No, I'm David's grandson from his second marriage. Second marriage? How many did he have? Three, I believe. He's a hero, you know. So I've been told. I knew him when we were younger, just before the war. We met in a crowded street in Covent Garden. It was very surreal. He knocked me over on his bike. I was out grocery shopping. Such a gent. He asked me for coffee to make it up to me. My mother was scandalised, but mothers always are. We saw each other for a while, but then the war got him. 
Well, not got him. Obviously, he didn't die, but he had to go and do his duty. I married a couple of weeks later. My childhood sweetheart returned, and David had helped me get the wildness out of my system. One last fling, if you like. She smiled, her wrinkles being lit up by the bright neon in the hall, her blue irises fading in the twilight of her years. Mother, a man about Alfred's height, emerged behind the old lady. Oh, James, this is... Alfred introduced himself, and they shook hands. Alfred's David's grandson. Oh, James paused. Tell me, were you close with your grandfather? Not especially. Not especially? If I'm honest, he's not my grandfather. I mean, he was my grandfather. He was my biological grandfather, but I never knew him. My real grandfather was my step-grandfather. I'll always remember him as my grandfather. Oh, he died? He did. I'm going to get another drink, said James. Mother, will you have one? You know, said the old lady, as if confessing a secret, leaning close to Alfred. I heard that the ex-minister over there could be one of David's too. All the men and women about James's age could very well be David's progeny. It's rather amusing, isn't it? Extremely. Walking back to his mother, drink in each hand, he saw it. The pale blue eyes, the high foreheads, the eyebrows slightly raised as if in surprise. The pointed noses. All the people in their mid-fifties to mid-sixties could well be his offspring. Had the hero really been heroic enough to fuck that many women and have that many illegitimate children? It was certainly a good way to make sure people turned up at your funeral. Who was that woman you were talking to? Alfred asked his mother as he handed her the bubbling cordial. Someone who claimed to know David when he was younger. I imagine all the old women are his ex-lovers. If you can even call them lovers. Conquests might be better. It was on the local news in the evening. War Hero's daughter has terrible skydiving accident. The journalist did a great job of analysing it all. A little twin engine with rotating propellers had taken her to an altitude of 13,000 foot, where she could see the ground below, the carpet of green, the toy-like houses, the water reservoirs and the vein-like roads intersecting the peaceful countryside. And she jumped. Her parachute opened too early, got caught in one of the propellers, and that was that. Alfred thought it was strange how a life could be so easily wasted. He was only eight at the time, but he remembered it vividly. It seemed like such a simple thing. One minute she was in the plane, the next she was in the propeller. Instantaneous death. It was only two days later that his mother told him who the plane lady was. No doubt she wanted to be like her father. That's why she did it. That's why she hurled herself out of a plane so recklessly. Her father had jumped out of planes and fought for freedom and she wanted to match him or better him. She was the only daughter worthy of his name, and so she had to prove it. Did she know about the other children, the two previous weddings, the bullied half-brother, the lost half-sister? Did she know about the illegitimate children? Did she jump out of the plane to show her father that it had been worth his sticking around with her and Mia? They didn't go to the funeral. This was before they'd been reunited with David. This was before his mother had tried to get her father back. Maybe she thought that since he'd lost his other daughter, he'd want to gain another one. Maybe now that the path had been cleared, his mother could rebuild the broken relationship. Maybe now that the path had been cleared, his mother could rebuild the broken relationship. Maybe that's why they'd gone on that brisk April morning to visit him, to see if he'd claim what was his. Within a few days, he'd forgotten all about it, and it wasn't mentioned again. Who wants to think about a tragedy like that? But sometimes it haunted him. What a fucker. What a shitty thing to happen to anyone. Doesn't matter what you've done. Little kids sliced up by propeller blades. That's fucking gruesome. Like something out of a horror film. Head goes splat and the arms go flying. It made him shiver to think of it. 
What a way to die, a war death, if you like, but no war to fight in. A death so pointless, so hard to understand, you wonder how anyone can live in such a fucked up universe that lets people die when they're just trying to impress their dad. Slowly, the hall emptied. After a couple of hours, only a few stragglers remained. The ex-minister was on the phone in the corner. Mia was talking to her family. Alfred and his mother sat on a couple of red chairs next to the drinks bar. It had been elderflower cordials all the way for them both. No point making a scene. Alfred's mother had smiled happily at people, but never actually engaged in any conversation. She'd left that to Alfred, who told the people who he was, who his mother was, how they knew the deceased. And that was the question they all asked. How did you know the deceased? I didn't. I didn't know him. I knew he was my grandfather. I knew he was meant to be a hero, but I didn't know anything else. The ex-minister got off the phone and glanced around the room. Seeing Mia deep in conversation, his eyes rested on Alfred and his mother. Without hesitating, he strolled across the room towards them. Leonine and magisterial, he walked like a man who knew what power tasted like. I'm Michael Alloway. He stuck his hand out to Alfred. Without standing, Alfred shook it limply. Mr. Alloway turned to his mother and did the same. She shook his hand without making eye contact. Mind if I join you? Alfred gestured to a seat with his eyes. Scraping the chair along the floor, Michael sat and unbuttoned his suit jacket. How did you know the deceased? he asked. He was my grandfather. Was he actually your grandfather? Excuse me? Well, there are a lot of people who aren't sure how they were related to old David. I should say, dead David. And I wasn't sure if you're a real-life grandchild or just the offspring of one of David's illegitimates. You'll excuse the tone, but public life makes one tired of pretense. Of course, Alfred, nodding. I'm the real grandson. My mother was his daughter by his second wife. Really? What did you think of your father? I remember him leaving. That's it, I'm afraid. My earliest memory is falling off my bike and shouting for my father and him not being there. I'm the same. Well, not the same, but I remember wondering where my father was when I was sick. My mother always said my father was a war hero, but it's hard to believe that when you're a child. And now? Now. Do you believe your father was a hero? I'm sure he was, but not to me. The real hero was the man who raised me like I was his son after marrying my mother. They tried to have a child of their own, but it was still born, and then they gave up and he was happy to pretend I was his. I'm sorry to hear that. Don't be sorry. If the old bugger had stuck around, I might never have gone into politics. Of course. Anyway, nice to meet the two of you. Here's my card if you need anything. You seem like a sensible young man. Thank you. The card was stamped with the Ministry of Defence's insignia. Alfred held it in his closed palm before slipping it into his inside pocket. Maybe he's a traitor. Maybe that's why he left. Yes, it all makes sense now. He abandoned me because he was a spy and he was turned, and that woman turned him, that woman Mia turned him. It had been two years since the April reunion, and David had made little effort other than a couple of letters. How did he remember his brief life with Alfred's mother and grandmother? Not well, he said, not well at all. His early years had conveniently become a blur with the onset of senility. And Valerie had written intensely in response, sending letters by airmail to his house in Spain, waiting with almost sickening angst for a response, a nod that her long-lost father, the hero, was trying to rebuild the relationship with his daughter. He was an old man then anyway, who cared about the past? Why couldn't he just try and make some kind of amends for his past life? Did he not care about his grandchildren? I doubt it, said Alfred's father. It's a nice romance, but it's probably not true. 
He used to smuggle people under the Berlin Wall and he got compromised and she offered him a lifeline and he fell in love with her. It makes perfect sense. It's a nice fantasy. So what other reason is there? He just wanted nothing to do with me anymore. I wasn't up to his standards. Don't say that. Maybe he was just drunk, drunk and a coward and couldn't face up to his responsibilities. He probably got affected by the war. Maybe he was scared for life after seeing all those horrors. It's not an excuse. Who abandons a child and a wife? Not only that, who does it twice? Fine, if you're not happy with your wife, then leave her. But leaving a child behind, leaving two children behind, what does that mean? I'm afraid your father is a coward, plain and simple. But it must be Mia that stopped him from seeing me. She must have convinced him that he shouldn't have anything to do with me anymore. It wasn't Mia, it was no one but him. He could have seen you, he could have written to you, he could have done something, but he didn't. It's his fault, and his alone. Now it was just Alfred, his mother, and Mia, and a couple of other old women. The oldies were nattering in the far corner. The waiting staff had begun clearing up. We should go, said Alfred. Everyone else has. Wait, I want to see if she'll talk to me. She won't. And he was right. They waited for another 20 minutes before leaving. All the while, Valerie just stared at Mia as if willing her to come over. But telepathy takes more than just willpower. And Mia didn't so much as glance at the two of them. Well, you couldn't blame her. They weren't blood-related. They were hardly related to the dead hero. Sure, he'd knocked up Alfred's grandmother 50 years earlier, married her and then bailed, but that wasn't related. They would have been related if he'd been there, if he hadn't let his daughter cry on the gravel after she'd scraped her knee. No, they weren't related. The sky outside had turned purple-black, with the dying sun just a streak in the fading sky. Their grey BMW stood imposingly at the far corner of the street, Heavy rain. You wait under here, I'll go get the car. Alfred left his mother standing under the covered entrance of the hall and dashed off into the rain. It felt good to rush through the bleak weather, his suit and shirt dampening instantly with the water. Reaching the car, he slipped off his jacket and got in. The rain hammered against the roof of the car, but he was safe, locked inside, the darkness of the car enveloping him. Staring at the engine, he pulled out and swung the car to the front of the entrance hall. His mother was standing, talking to Mir. Weakening orange light from the hall framed them. At the end of the conversation, which lasted a few minutes, Mir took Valerie's hand in hers and clasped it for a few moments. Then they embraced, and Alfred's mother dashed towards the car. What was that about? I think she was trying to say goodbye. I guess she doesn't think she'll be around for much longer. Right. Stuff about mistakes, stuff about being old, stuff about God. I was kind of shocked she was talking to me and I can't really remember most of the conversation. It just happened, how can you forget that quickly? I don't know. Let's go, shall we? He started the engine and pulled the car off into the night, tyres slipping in the gushing rain. Other People's Flowers was produced by Hugo Gibson, Chris Kamon Vutitam and Hamish Adam Kans. If you'd like to have your work featured on the show please send it to editor at otherpeoplesflowers.com. Thank you for listening.